You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. World Talk Radio. Welcome to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. The power of water and global warming. Each week we have had our show on the subject that everybody has been hearing about. It's not a political issue. It's not who knows more than the other. It is a fact that there, the global warming is happening and has been happening for thousands and thousands of years. Have you heard about global warming? I should ask you. Do you have any concerns? Are you confused? What would you like to learn? More about your health and global warming? the global warming for your generations to come to be able to live on this earth without living in a greenhouse glass tank? Uh, what do you know about your health issues and the symptoms that seem to be strange to you? Let's learn about that together every week. And our guests every week are trying to uh, participate on giving you the information that we hope that you'll be looking for about your mind, your eyes, your skin, and your body, your health. And that's what we're here for. And at the end of each show, we always give you a little segment for education about with our national park directors and different individuals who know about Earth and its pristine ecosystem and the nature of what is happening. Today we have, want to welcome uh, here soon uh, Louise Hochler, who is the director of all volunteers and public relations of Shriners Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. I am really excited about Louise. And at the end of the show, our nature segment is with Art Bernstein, who is the has a master's degree in anthropology and forestry degree. He's going to be telling us and educating us today about the power of ice. Uh, we will take a moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back to meet with Louise. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome to the Sharon Kleina Hour, uh, the power of water and global warming and the concerns of your health. Today, uh, we, I want to welcome Louise Hochler, who's the Director of the Volunteers and Public Relations of the Shriners Hospital for Children in Cincinnati. Louise, are you with us? I'm here, Sharon. Thanks, thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you. I've been excited. Um, I'm going to let you start, and I'll tell you the uniqueness of us being together today. Um, but let's hear about you and Shriners Hospital. Uh, um, well, first of all, what is your position there? 
what are you doing, and let's tell them about Shriners. Okay, I'd be happy to. Um, I am calling from the Shrine Hospital in Cincinnati. Shriners Hospitals for Children is um, a 22-hospital system network in North America, Canada, Canada, and Mexico. And a lot of people might be familiar. There is a hospital, I think, in Portland, um, close to where you guys are, and in Spokane, Washington, and in Sacramento. And the hospitals, there are 22 Shrine Hospitals. They treat children with orthopedic, burn, or spinal cord injuries. And the Shriners have been doing this since 1922, and they never charge anyone for the care provided at these hospitals. So it's so, uh, you have, in the United States, you're representing uh, the Shriners, and the, and the Shriners have 22 hospitals that they have been financing for children to be able to go to their centers and be taken care of with orthopedics, uh, burns, and what's the other one? And spinal cord injuries. Spinal cord mm-hmm. injuries. Now, uh, since 1922, how many Shriners are there in the United States? Gosh, there's almost close to, you know, 500,000 Shriners. 500,000? Yeah, in clubs and units, you know, throughout in every city, there's probably a Shrine Club or a Shrine Center. And those Shriners, they're, they're actually two separate organizations. The Shrine of North America is the fraternity side that um, is a group of men that, you know, get together for, and, and men and their families for, you know, fellowship and fun and um, good work. And their good works happens to be Shriners Hospitals for Children. So when the Shriners raise money or you see them out in the parades, they're raising awareness for their philanthropic effort, which are the, the 22 hospitals that provide that care for children, and they do it, you know, totally without charging anyone for the now, care. Uh, Louise, uh, every once in a while, I might interrupt you and forgive okay. me because I want my list, the listeners to understand uh, what maybe uh, we want them to learn here. Okay. Uh, because they may have a family, they may have a child, they may have someone they know or someone down the street who may want to know more about your services and they'll want to know how to go about what what they can do to participate. Absolutely. Um, I need you to know, listeners, and Louise, you probably don't know, I'm the founder of Save a Child's Life Foundation for Pediatric Research, melanoma, and we have donated to the Shriners, I need to disclose this, but um, over $100,000 in 10 years. Great, that's wonderful. And uh, we've uh, donated some to the research center in Florida and uh, an abundant amount into the research center up in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I want to learn more about what you're doing today with your research. Um, the Shriners are very dear to my heart, and I want the listeners to understand um, that uh, what, the, what they have been doing since 1922 is the most generous, nonstop, commitment of compassion for families who need help financially, the embracement, the, uh, all that, that's necessary for the medical care, and the money. That's and, right. Uh, so we'll c- go on. Um, now, w- Louise, when you're representing uh, the Shriners Burn Center, tell us a little bit about the Burn Center. Well, the Burn Centers are really kind of the, you know, what we like to consider the um, Centers of excellence within um, pediatric burn care in the country and really in the world. There are only four Shriners Burns Hospitals in North America, Boston, Cincinnati, Galveston, and Sacramento. Okay, so you have one in Boston, Cincinnati, Galveston, Texas, and Sacramento, California. Okay. 
And these hospitals are just solely devoted to treating children with burn injuries. And, of course, we we treat other conditions such as, you know, non-burn conditions like cleft lip palate or port wine stains, dog bites, children needing reconstructive surgery. But our specialty and really what we're known for is pediatric burn care. And and this is what really sets Shriners apart. You know, there are other burn units in the country that treats adults and some have um, pediatric burn units in some children's hospitals. But, you know, the Shriners Hospitals and the Shriners Burns Institutes, this is all we do all the time is treat pedi- pediatrics and their family who have had a burn injury. And so we really specialize in knowing everything there needs to be known about children with burn injuries, families who have experienced a burn injury, pediatric burn research, um, you know, burn support, survivor support. So it's really important for families to know that if they know somebody who's had a, a child who's had a burn injury, whether it's big or small, um, it's always best to call, get a hold of someone at a Shriners Burns Hospital, and just talk to them on the phone and talk about your options. Is this something that, you know, is it life-threatening? Do we need to come right away? Is it something that can be seen, um, you know, as a clinic appointment? That's what we specialize in, is just taking care of the families who've had a burn injury. Now, let's, as I know some listeners are thinking of this, too. Now, let's say you are in uh, Oregon or the West Coast or another part of America, and your specializes in burns. How does that person get to the Shriners Hospital in Cincinnati or do the Shriners Hospital in Portland take care of the burns? Well, how it works is that the burn hospitals are regionalized. So if someone does get burned in the western part of the United States, a child would go to a, you know, emergency room or a pediatrician's office, whatever is the most appropriate. And at that time, you know, the ER staff, the emergency room staff or a pediatrician would make a decision whether they need to be seen by a burn specialist. Okay, and now when time, they would see by a burn specialist and, and, and let's say whatever state they're in, how did they go about uh, that? Uh, explain that to our listeners. Yeah, all they would need to do is, um, you know, contact the Shriners Hospitals there in Sacramento, which is, um, you know, in Northern California. Contact that hospital either um, directly or, they, you know, they go visit the Internet and there's phone numbers on the Internet. They may and have I can to get do that in a hurry. You. Um, pardon? They may have to do that in a hurry if the child is being taken care of in an area with a doctor and they've had a burn to get to the Shriners Hospital, uh, and now you, you uh, correct me, but if a person has been had a burn, do they go to their local hospital? Absolutely. You know, an emergency room where someone needs to go. doctor. Right, right the away. Does the doctor uh-huh. get a hold of the Shriners Hospital, or do the individuals get a hold of the Shriners Hospital? It actually kind of depends on the severity of the injury. If, if a um, per, you know, if a child is severely injured and needs immediate care, you know, they would go to the emergency room. They might even actually be admitted to that hospital okay. for burn care. And at that point, that's when, you know, physicians are talking with families, and families should understand their options and understand that there is a shrine hospital out there that could help with a serious pediatric burn injury. Now, let's say the person has, uh, is at the local hospital of where they live. Can the local doctor... Uh, does the local doctor get a hold of you, or is the family the first one to get a hold of you? You know, it, it can be either one. Sometimes families call us and, you know, explore care options and what they need to do. Typically, if a child is under a physician's care, which means they are in the hospital, then they would, that physician would need to call us. Physician or a, 
you know, a care coordinator, someone who's working with the family would call the Shrine Hospital and say, we have a patient here. We think, you know, we, we'd like to get them to your hospital. Um, you know, what do after, need how, after how long, like three or four days? or a it, it can be immediately if it needs to be. Now, uh-huh. uh, Louise, I have heard that uh, your research center there in, in Cincinnati is a very sophisticated skin care research center also. Yeah, the, um, we at, in the Cincinnati Hospital, pediat- and pediatric burns research is big at all the Shrine Burns hospitals. You know, we not only specialize in treatment of children with burn injuries, but really are focusing on research so that, you know, 10, 20 years from now, pediatric burn care is different because of the research that has occurred at Shriners Hospitals. But now, that's all your research center is doing there, because I've been to the research center and other hospitals of Shriners, and they each have their own research uh, uh, special projects. So your research center right there on, uh, at the hospital, at the location, they do nothing but study the, uh, the skin and burns and, um, for the burn victims. Yeah, our, we have several specialties in Cincinnati. One is infections and, you know, infection control for children with burn injuries. Another one is just looking at the nutritional aspects of a burn injury and how that can make a difference in wound healing um, and just overall health for a burn patient. But probably the most significant and really the most um, promising research that we do at our hospital is what is called the cultured skin substitute studies, and this is where if you, if you can imagine, Sharon, if, if I have a small burn, you know, how it's treated, if I have a child with a small burn, if they just have a burn on their thigh, um, you know, maybe something hot touched them and, and they have a burn on their thigh that is going to need grafting, first and second degree burns will heal on its own. Often those can be treated at a pediatrician's office or at our facility if a family is close to Cincinnati, sometimes they'll come up for that care, but often those will heal on their own. But a third-degree burn will not. So a third-degree burn will not heal on its own. So you have to go in surgically, and they remove the burn wound itself, say, from the thigh. And then they have to put good skin on top of that for it to heal. And so if I just have a burn on my thigh, they can take skin from my back and use that as what they call a donor site and put the donor site on that burn wound on my thigh. Now, your hospital um, uh, is specializing in that. So have you... Can you reveal some of the latest stuff that they're studying? That yeah. So, so what happens with a child with a large burn injury, say over 50%, they don't have enough good skin, unburned skin, that can be used as a donor site. Okay. So we take a biopsy, and this is done at the Cincinnati Hospital, and it's really not done at... It's not done in, like this at any other hospital in the country. So we take a biopsy of the patient's skin, their, uh, a, back their you skin up cells. On that, if you would, and excuse me. Um, so that particular shrine, I've heard that that Shriners Hospital has got is so sophisticated in their research into the skin organ and what they're doing with the latest of, of, of research in burns that it's taking them on to some other skin-related breakthroughs potentially. Right. Uh, and this research where we, we biopsy, that we, we take a, you know, skin cells from the patient, we take it up to the lab over the course of about three and a half weeks, we grow it. And so we actually are feeding it. and so you're you know, growing the, skin. We grow skin. And so what turns out, you know, in about three and a half weeks, we have what, if you can imagine, a wet paper towel square of the patient's own skin cells. Oh, my goodness. 
And so this is then used as a permanent graft for the patient. And, and it's still, you know, they're still doing a lot of research on it, and there's still ways that we can improve it, and that's what a lot of our research goes to just improving, you know, the pigmentation aspects of it, making sure that if a patient is very dark skin, that when we grow their skin, a lot of people would think, well, of course you would grow dark skin. But that doesn't happen. No, the pigmentation no. doesn't come through. True. And so um, there's a lot of research still going on with that. But the most promising aspect is that for a child with a very large burn, and we've actually grown skin for patients at our Galveston hospitals and at the Sacramento hospital, we, you know, for those large burn patients, we can cover them. Um, remove that burn, cover them with their own skin much quicker, and can really save a patient's life. So that's probably the most promising research that we're doing, and it's really just being done at the Shrine Hospital in Cincinnati. We have a caller. Mm -hmm. She would like to ask you a question. Um, Dylan, are you there? Hello? Dylan, are you there? I guess we don't have her. Okay. Uh, We'll wait until they give me a sign that she's there uh, again. Maybe she'll call back. Um, well, what we need to learn now with what's coming up this summer and lots of recreation, uh-huh. can you tell us some of the things that our listeners should be aware of to, for health education purposes with their children, uh, with uh, the season of tourism and lots of outdoor activity? Yeah, and this is often a time when we do see a little bit of an uh, increase in children's burn injuries, and that's because kids, you know, we like to think they have a little bit more time on their hands, they're home, not in school, um, they're doing stuff outside, and we see children, probably one of the biggest injuries we see is children misusing gasoline, and I say children, but I really mean older kids. Um, at one point in our hospital, Sharon, I was showing residents through our hospital, and we had 10 patients, and 8 out of the 10 were boys between the ages of 12 and 16. Because of those, um, what do you call those um, bikes that they're riding? I mean, those... Well, uh, ATVs, but these boys had been misusing gasoline and were burned. Because they're doing those competitive or playing with those dirt bikes or... those. Well, or they're, you know, some people um, will use it to burn trash. Okay. You know, they'll use it to restart a campfire, just a variety of things. But what we tell people and what your callers need to know is... Gasoline has one purpose, and that is to fuel an engine. It does nothing else. It should never be used for any other purpose. And if it explodes? It explodes. It has a very low, what they call that match, you know, match temperature, where you know, it takes very little for that. To and something start else, please. Let's say they're using those dirt bikes and those children, four-wheelers, whatever they're called. Uh, and there's so much activity to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and we all see of a with, sudden, with the, the tank is hot. The it's tank is hot, and you'll see some contact burn. And explodes. Right, and well, with with the ATVs, you don't see that as much as you'll see contact burns. Okay. You know, someone will be wearing you know shorts with okay. an ATV, or they'll fall off of it, and then if they don't have long pants on, they, they can get a pretty serious contact burn on their leg or their thigh from a, those ATVs. But we're going to take a moment for our sponsor, and okay. you be, we'll be right back to you. And uh, you'll be educating us more about these things for the summer because this is something that people should be reminded of and not take for granted. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor, World Talk Radio, Voice America, and uh, we'll be right back. World Talk Radio. 
Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. The power of water and global warming. Uh, we're concerned about your health and your, uh, how, the decisions you make every day. Uh, today we have Louise Holker, who is the director of the Volunteers and Public Relations at the Shriners Hospital in Cincinnati, and they have a specialty with the Shriners of burns and skin research. And she was telling us before our break here that this summer you need to be concerned and remind yourselves, don't take it for granted, it won't happen to you, about children and what happens when the, uh, the accidents of a burn. And remember, the word accident in the dictionary means not planned. Louise, are you with us? Oh, yes, I'm here. Louise, we have a caller on. Okay. Uh, I think she might be there. Dylan, are you with us now? Good morning, Sharon. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, have a, Sharon, uh, Lacey, and Louise. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, do you have a question for Louise? Um, I just wanted to use this as a personal opportunity to say thank you to the Shriners organization in a whole. Um, my family has specifically been helped. Um, my youngest nephew was born with leukemia um, at no cost to his family. He was able to receive uh, several treatments, including eventually bone marrow transplant from his sibling. Um, he went through this, of course, from birth, and now he's about seven. He's happy, healthy, and the Shriners did nothing but help throughout the entire process. So um, although it was not a burn uh, specialty, I would just like to but thank look you. look at the Shriners. Yeah, that's um, something. I'm glad you brought that up. Louise, isn't that uh, You know, I had trouble hearing the caller. <laughs> oh, Louise, uh, she said that the Shriners had helped a family member with leukemia with a bone marrow transplant and did not cost anything. The Shriners paid for it. So, uh, Dylan, you want to tell her again? Can you speak up a little louder? Good morning, Louise. Can you hear me? Uh, you're very faint. <laughs> but I, I'm glad that, you know, the Shriners were able to help your family. They, Like I said, they've been doing great things for children since 1922 with orthopedic, you know, spinal cord and burn injuries. So I, it, she's very faint. I just can't hear her at all. Okay, Louise, she was saying that uh, the Shriners helped that a family member had leukemia. And they needed a bone marrow for this child, and the Shriners paid for that at their hospital. At what, what hospital was the child at? At Portland, in Portland. In Portland, Oregon, Louise. In Portland. Well, I'm, that's great that they were able to help with that. Isn't that exciting? Well, Dylan, thank you for telling our listeners about the contribution the Shriners are giving and for our listeners to remember that. Thank you. Have a nice day, Dylan. Thank you. Um, well, I actually had a question. Oh, okay. Um, I'd like to ask Louise, um, although since you deal with the volunteers, I was wondering if you find that the public steps into that role or do you find a lot of times the family members coming back to try to contribute? 
and as far as volunteers you... at the hospital and within the hospital? Louise, she was wondering mm-hmm. if uh, a lot of your volunteers are individuals who are not a member of the Shriners or people who are mainly the member of the Shriners families or people who you've helped who come back and also volunteer because you gave them uh, the benefits of helping that child. You know, we have the Shriners hospitals, I think, across the board are very lucky in that the Shriners play a huge part in our hospital system. They, you know, probably 90% of our volunteers at our hospitals are Shriners or related to Shriners. So they come in and do everything from delivering mail, doing tours, driving our patients, picking them up at the airport. Um, but And then, you know, our parents as well and fa- children who have been burned do come back often and want to volunteer. So we have some programs where our families actually act as support for families who are new to the hospital system. Um, and it's a program through the Phoenix Society, which is a burn survivor network um, in the country. And they we train with the help of the Phoenix Society, we train families who have been through a burn injury to support other families coming into a burn injury. Because what families have said to us is, you know, you might be the experts in burn care, but you can't say that you've stood in my shoes. And a family can say that. You know, a family can say to another family, we have been where, we're, where you are right now, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And so they really help encourage um you know, new families that have come into the system. But we, you know, we use a lot of volunteers at all the hospitals, the Shriners, and we have general, the general public who come in to volunteer, but the Shriners are a big, big part of the hospitals. Okay. Dylan, did you have another question? I would just like to, again, just thank you across the board to all the Shriners. And, Dylan, I can't hear you. And if you I could give apologize. That contact information have to let because you go. I know that there are so I'm many sorry, people out there that would love to contact. Um, and become volunteers. Um, Louise, and I think we're going to have, have to move answer. on. There's some technical difficulties. Okay. I heard, I heard Dylan fine then, but I guess oh, you, you couldn't hear her. I, I heard her great. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Here, if, what did she ask you? Um, she was just saying thanks again to the Shriners. So, like I said, that's what the Shriners are there for. They, you know, they, they want to be able to help kids, and the more kids they can help, the better. Now, uh, Shriners are, uh, since 1922, became a family-to-family generation of philanthropy who gave their time to raise these funds to help the children here in uh, North America. Do they do anything in Canada at all? Well, the Shriners are active in Canada. They have a hospital in Montreal. We're an international radio show. So yeah, we- they, have a hosp- they have an orthopedic hospital in Montreal, and I know that the um, hospitals up near Spokane probably help a lot of children from Canada. We've actually, actually in Cincinnati, gotten patients from Canada Canada as well. So, um, if you know, the most important thing is if there is a child who can be helped by the hospitals, the, the Shriners will take them. And in addition to Canada, our Galveston Hospital probably treats 90% of their patients come from Mexico. So we do, you know, a huge amount for the, the children in Mexico. You're helping the Mexican government. Uh, mm-hmm. You're helping people from Mexico with burns uh, of children also. Yeah, and we actually in Cincinnati, all of our hospitals do a lot of international work. We have a boy from Nigeria. Um, you know, we've gotten children from China and Iraq and just across the board. So same thing with Boston. Interna- I'm glad you're saying that because this is an international radio show. Right, and what, how we help children, you know, often people will call us, and it does take some time to help these international patients. But what we found, Sharon, is that, and, and this is a good thing, you know, children in the United States are, are pretty safe. They, the fire departments and the fire service 
has just done a terrific job, and the Shriners, in educating people about burn prevention. But overseas, and, you know, in the United States, we have smoke detectors. Our homes are safe. We don't cook with an open flame. But overseas in developing countries, you know, Honduras and Costa Rica, Mexico, you know, the Eastern European countries, people are still cooking with open flames. Um, you know, gasoline is just too available for children. And so we'll see children that have really very serious burns in these foreign countries. And, you know, the, the doctors and the hospitals there can help, but only to a certain extent. And what we've found is that, you know, children develop crippling scars oh, and reconstructive problems yeah. because they the surgeons in these developing countries just don't have the technique. They just don't know to do anymore. And so we work with agencies like Children of the America or um, Medical Mission West, several agencies out there that will identify children and bring them to our attention. You work with the doctors with no borders by chance? Doctors, yeah, anything like that. And so they'll identify children, bring them to our attention. We evaluate them. You know, a lot of times it's just done on the Internet through photographs, and we can say, yeah, we can help those children. They need to come here. Now, the Shriners, you know, because they, they're, they're very generous with children in the States and they help with transportation for the domestic children, you know, the children from the United States, they, they do ask that these host agencies, you know, develop transportation. Assist you. Yeah, issues to get these kids to us in the United States. I know in several weeks we're going to get, be getting a child from Tanzania, and he had a burn probably two years ago, and it still is not healed. It's an open wound, and, you know, he lives in a mud hut, so they just don't have the resources in this village to help him heal. And so an agency identified him, saw him on one of their mission trips, and they're bringing him um, to Cincinnati so that we can help him. Mm-hmm. Yes, the, the, I want to go on now also okay. to the 4th of July is coming up, Louise, and what is your thinking for people to remind us? Remember, uh, listeners, it never hurts to have us reminded over and over again. The word accident in the dictionary means unplanned. Right. And, you know, Fourth of July, Louise. Actually, what we found is probably close to 80 to 90 percent of our burn injuries are are accidents. You know, so burn prevention just plays a huge role in preventing burns and just being aware of them. But fire, you know, Fourth of July is a great holiday and people like to get out, you know, little sparklers or things like that. And first off, we like to tell the families, you know, leave the fireworks to the professionals. Go watch a public display. Um, you know, leave it to the professionals. But we know that people don't do that often, <laughs> that they'll get the, the sparklers or the little things, uh, fireworks um, at home to, to show off to the kids. And often, you know, children can be the innocent bystanders and get hurt from these types of things. And so what people need to understand is, you know, over 9,000 injuries occur each year um, due to fireworks. So how many? Over 9,000. Oh, my goodness. And, and, you know, a lot of these are children, and a lot of them are, you know, contact burns. And what we found is that a firework injury. Have you any information to tell us about the sparkler, as innocent as it is? Yeah, the sparkler actually causes more burns than any other device. I was going to say, I wondered about that. Yeah, and it can ignite, you know, it burns at such a high temperature, it can easily ignite clothing. So What about the eyes? And the eyes, and that's what you see. You know, what we see with burn injuries with fireworks, they can be small contact-type injuries, which can heal, but often they will be occur on the face with an eye, and then someone can, you know, you can get per- permanent well, damage from the that. advice to mm-hmm. our listeners and the families to getting together is 
those uh, individuals who are the uh, parent or the grandparent individual around the child going to innocently enjoy a sparkler, give them instructions of how to use it and make sure you're watching them and don't let them walk away without your sight. Right. I mean, we tell, you know, we tell families, young children should not play with fireworks under any circumstances. Um, older children in their teens, you know, if there's close, very close we, adult supervision. We know the young children are. I've been mm-hmm. places when little children are given a, a sparkler and thinking it's an innocent. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 I, and you're right. They shouldn't. We're not mm-hmm. going to ever say it's right encourage it, but they will. And, uh, and if, well, what, some of the safety things people can do, they can have a bucket of water nearby right or hose. Always make sure before you start any sparklers or fireworks, there's buckets of water around. Mm-hmm. What else would you suggest? Um, they should make sure they do it, you know, away from homes, dry leaves, any flammable material. And this is especially important, like we were talking so make about sure gas. Bucket of water. Do not have the entertainment of the Fourth of July or event around where it's very dry. Look, look at that surroundings to make sure that's safe. Is there something else? Yeah, they should make sure that there's no flammable liquids around. Okay, no flammable liquids or flammable vapors, anything like that. You know, gasoline is stored away. Any, uh, you know, charcoal, lighter, fluid, all should be far, far away. I mean, it should always be out of sight and out of reach of children, but especially if you're going to participate in any of these, you know, very light or, you know, just home firework display type things. Okay, uh, that is so important because we're getting close to the summer's coming, the 4th of July. Some people mm-hmm. are taking three and four days to enjoy the 4th of July, and it, be, it became an event long ago to enjoy the fireworks, the sparklers. And I know in some states there's a legality to all of that, of uh, making sure it's all legal to use. Yes. And that legality means, listeners, safety, too. Yes, people uh, should definitely the understand the, yeah. the laws in their community as it relates to fireworks. Exactly. Let's go back to the Shriners and uh, thinking about helping our listeners in case of a situation that a person has had a serious burn and uh, or a minor burn. What would you say to before we leave our listeners? Um, uh, because Louise, I could talk to you all day. You have our hearts uh, of what you're all doing there. Uh, what would you leave our listeners to learn about what what is the uh, what would the Shriners do? What's the least amount of of uh, burn serious, I mean, what is the least amount of seriousness that they would come to you without going to the local, I mean, on top of going to the local doctor? Well, the most important thing they can, you know, visit our website, which is ShrinersHQ.org. Okay, repeat that again, would you? It's ShrinersHQ, so that's S-H-R-I-N-E-R-S-H-Q.org. And there they can visit, you know, specific hospitals, the hospitals closest to them. They can understand what conditions the orthopedic hospitals treat, what conditions the burn hospitals treat, lots of information on burn prevention and other activities for them. But, you know, people can visit that and they can understand the Shriners and, you know, understand that the Shriners really want to help children. And for a burn injury, there's very, you know, the medical professional understands the seriousness when they see a burn injury. So, again, always best, you know, call 911 if it's an emergency. You'll be transported to your nearest, you know, children's hospital or a hospital. And that's where the, you know, medical professionals and the families 
should just know the option of Shriners Hospitals for children when they have a burn injury. That you know, one is this... last question myself. Mm-hmm. Let's say uh, an individual has uh, received all the medical care for the burn, but they have lots of scarring, um, and that's they, they, it's healed, but there's lots, a lot of scarring. Can they still come to the Shriners Hospital? Absolutely, and that's a great question, Sharon, because... We, we do see a lot of children in that circumstances where they might have been treated for their acute care, which is that new burn, at another facility. And as the fa- as the child gets better, and the families, just like you would with any medical condition, you know, families start doing research. They want to understand: is this really the best option for my family? Who are the experts in burn care? And the Shriners are the experts in burn care, and so we'll see children come to us. Um, to be evaluated for plastic and reconstructive surgeries because the most important thing for us is, you know, beyond a child surviving a burn injury, um, the most important thing is really making them productive members of our community, helping them um, finish school, get their GED, you know, become a, a productive member of society. And with a large burn injury, that can be challenging for families. Oh, it is. And, it is. And, and, but the and trainers, not only expensive, but it becomes a very self awareness to the individual with all that scarring. Yes, and so we... Uh, sadly, they may have another child say, oh, something to be funny, thinking they'd enjoy the, the, the humor, but children with scars that are so obvious are not enjoying somebody else's humor, and they become very self-concerned. Uh, right, and, we, and Shriners and the staff, again, you know, are really the experts in understanding that, and we have programs to help our families make that adjustment and transition back to school, back to their community. If a oh, child, you do have programs for the psychological preparations of getting Absolutely. back. Absolutely, that's probably oh, one that's of the biggest. Good to hear too. Thank you. Yes, that is wonderful. So along the way, there is not only healing and helping at the emergency, but also the psychological help with the family and the individual to mm-hmm. uh, get back into their uh, with their friends and and get back involved in their social life. Right, and we just finished last week. We had our 17th year of our camp program, which is called... Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Louise, tell us about the camp program. Before yeah, we leave. Uh, this is a, a pediatric burn camp for children who have been in our hospital. For 17 years, the Shriners have been hosting children from um, our care place, our, our our hospital, and they'll come up and spend a week at a residential camp, much like a YMC. YMCA camp, and it's staffed by um, Shrine Hospital employees, and it just really gives kids a chance to meet other children with burn injuries and talk to them and, ex- and you know, how to get to meet each other, get to meet each other and yeah. really feel good about themselves. And, you know, there's so many stories that we've heard, you know, a child with, you know, a small burn injury who was very self-conscious about, you know, maybe wearing a sleeveless shirt. And so he came to camp, and he sees children with, yeah, large burns, really disfiguring yes. and burns, can, and he says, yeah. "Gosh, you know, this is not what it's about." You know, oh, look at this child who, cool. you know, has lost fingers to a burn, and they can still ride a horse and climb a rope. And so, it's really a great experience to relate with each other and mm-hmm. build a bonding on that, and get to know each other forever. Probably many. Oh, of them. they do. Kids return year after year, and kids then return to become junior counselors. It's really a oh, great Louise, program. I am so sorry. I could have done this for two hours. Oh, well, thank you so much for having worldwide, us Worldwide, uh, really relating to the Shriners and their hearts. And I have been around the Shriners. They care, and they're so warm and so dedicated. And I've, I've never seen a group of people who nonstop commit. So 
listeners, if you ever have the Shriners involved in your community, help them because uh, that's helping your community. Louise, thank you for your time today, and we wish you the best. Our hearts are with you. Tell everyone there hello. We will. Thank you so much for having us on and letting us talk about Shriners, Sharon. Give the children a hug there, and uh, hopefully you'll come back on and talk with us again someday. Thank you. We will. Thanks. Have a nice day, Louise. Uh Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What an excitement, the children's camp, too. We are going to take a moment to hear from our sponsor, World Talk Radio and Voice America, and we'll be right back. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to the Sharon Klein Hour, the power of water and global warming. And for listeners uh, who have been calling in, I am so sorry we can't talk with you because there's been some technical difficulty. Um, be sure and contact us again next week. Um, this is an interna- international show, and we hope that you're really enjoying the power of water and global warming. Uh, our next guest is going to be a favorite person and subject matter with me uh, in the show. is Art Bernstein. Are you there, Art? Sure. Can you hear us okay? Can Hello? you hear us okay? Uh, I hear you fine. Good, because we've had some technical difficulty. Can I say one thing before we start? You sure can. About Shriners Hospital. Oh, wonderful, yeah. Uh, as you well know, my daughter Sarah, was, uh, who is now 33 and working on her Ph.D. at age 8, was in a Shriners Hospital in Portland. And wow. Those and, uh, people that were had... so wonderful and so awesome that I almost want to cry every time I think about it. That, thank you for sharing that with our listeners, Art. Uh, I have heard that over and over and over again throughout the United States. Yes, and that's just, why just so Life Foundation um, is uh, put, your heart, put a child's heart in your hands and uh, save a child's life. And that, I'm, that's what the encouragement of this today. Yeah, I just um, had to say that. Art, you were going to talk to us today about the power of ice, and I'm excited to hear about that. Uh, yeah, um, well, I've done a lot of hiking in the mountains, and every place you go in the western mountains, there are remnants of glaciers that used to be there, and glaciers that still are there, and just the amount of earth they can move, and the effect that they have on climate, even thousands of years after they're gone, uh, is just, just awesome. So when you're hiking in the mountains and you you uh, see these witness these glaciers, the glaciers on this earth uh, are there for how many years? So you're looking at something that's been there how long? Uh, 
No telling, but you know, more likely you see a va- uh, where a glacier used to be. Oh, used to be because okay. they started melting about ten thousand years ago. Okay. Now, would and, you explain something melting. to me? Because you have a master's degree in anthropology and another degree in forestry, and you write the Bernstein hiking books. Right. Uh, would you explain to us? So, because I'm really excited about all of us learning more open-mindedly about global warming. Don't make decisions what what's what. What can we all learn to assist open-mindedly to make this a better place to live? What is the definition of global warming from your background? Well, like I said before, the earth is constantly, the climate is constantly changing. Uh, for how many years? Before the age of dinosaurs, okay. there was a cold spell that lasted a couple million years that almost wiped out all life on Earth, and it had to okay. practically all over again. Okay. Um, so there's always cold spells and warm spells and glacial advances and glacial retreats. And, uh, so when you're hiking and you see a what was a one time a glacier or right. you're mo- hiking at another location and there is a, r- a glacier still there. Right. So when the glacier is still uh, there uh, obviously there what is, what is the story be- what's the behind that what's the ecosystem story behind the glacier that's still there and the glacier the glacier that's disappeared. Those are remnants from the uh, Wisconsin or the Wisconsinian glaciation period which started about a million and a half years ago and started retreating about 10,000 years ago. So it's got a ways to go before it's in full retreat. And, and, uh, so if, the, if, it's re- if you no longer can see the glacier there, but th- what's the, well, how would a person uh, notice that there was once a glacier? What are the obvious? Well, if you're hiking in the mountains and you see a horseshoe-shaped cliff with a lake on the bottom. A horseshoe-shaped cliff. Right. With a lake at the bottom. With a lake at the bottom, you know there was a glacier there. Uh, if you see a valley that's U-shaped instead of V-shaped uh, in the mountains, then there was a valley glacier there. Uh, and the whole upper tier of the United States uh, at one point was covered with continental glaciers. Now explain continental glaciers so we understand that. The continental glacier is like the Greenland ice, Greenland ice cap or the uh, Antarctic ice cap. Uh, it just covers the whole continent, and, and it came as far south. The Wisconsin glacier ended at the Ohio River and formed the Ohio River. And when you said the Wisconsin, that means the state of Wisconsin? No, that's the name of the glacier. Oh, okay. I'm <laughs> glad I asked because the, the, I would have heard... The Nebraskan, Illinoisan, and uh-huh. Wisconsin. Okay. Most of the uh, little glacier valleys and lakes uh, in the mountains of the west are part of the Wisconsin glaciation. The first thing that we find of that with the global cooling. Yeah, the listeners might be thinking this too. Where would we find the most obvious of the glaciers that are still there? What's where, where in the world would we find the most amount, or is that the way to think? Um, Glacier Bay in Alaska or uh, the mountains of Alaska, but they're also on Mount Rainier and Mount Shasta and... Uh, Throughout the world? Yeah, all over the world, sure. All over the world. There's the, you know, any high mountains is going to have glaciers. 
any place that it snows more than it melts. Now, when you say a high mountain, how high is the mountain? What's the height? Depends on the uh, where the mountain is. I know, but what would the normal heights be? Would it be uh, 3,000? Okay, well, in Alaska, the glaciers go all the way down to sea level. Okay. Where we live, uh, 7,000 or 8,000 feet. 7 or 8. Okay. What about places like in um, uh, New Zealand? New Zealand has many glacials and lots of glacial valleys. Uh, they're lower. They're like three, 4,000 feet. Okay, there we go. So here in our and in, in, in around the Oregon area, to be seven to eight thousand square feet, a uh, square feet. Feet elevation mile. above sea level. Yeah, above sea level, and then you'd have the over in New Zealand. It's how how high? Probably quite a bit lower. Yeah, that's interesting. But Is that I mean, why New Zealand no, has? They, uh, there was ice ages there too because they have fjords. They have what? What they call fjords, which are deep inlets in the ocean on the coast that were carved by glaciers, and then the glacier went away and it left this uh, narrow inlet, F-I-O-R-D-S. Is that a freshwater inlet? Pardon? Is that freshwater? Uh, no. Okay. It's, it's, uh, but uh, but it's, it's carved by glaciers. There's also fjords in Alaska. And there's I also see. So you mean that the, 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 the earth around the ocean there is carved by the age of the ice? Yeah, but that tells you that at one time the glaciers were much lower and went out into the ocean. Okay. Uh, and now they've retreated. So that meant that uh, there was an ice age in New Zealand. And you can tell that just by the mere fact that there are fjords there. Yeah, fascinating. Now, what does the ice power of ice have? What's the influence on this Earth? What is the, what, what was your evaluation of that? Well... I think uh, um, my hobby is uh, what they call glacial islands. Um, the glacials were advanced because the weather cool, got cooler. And the weather got cooler because the glaciers advanced. Yeah, I mean, it, it, both. Mm-hmm. Um, so the trees that were growing where the glaciers advanced their natural ranges got pushed south. And then when the glaciers retreated, the uh, natural ranges of all these different species of trees moved back north. But what happened was was uh, some of them stayed where they were when they were displaced. So what happens is on high mountain areas, you find trees that don't belong there. And they're remnant populations of uh, trees whose main range is like hundreds of miles to the north. Now, when you say a tree doesn't belong there, let's help our listeners. Okay, How would they there's recognize? There's a tree called an Alaska cedar. Okay, an Alaska. It grows in Alaska, and it grows about halfway down the Cascade Mountains of Oregon. Okay. Now, in southern Oregon and northern California, you'll be walking around in the mountains, and every once in a while, you'll come across just a little tiny cluster of Alaska cedar that's way outside. It's just hundreds of miles from where Alaska cedar normally grows, and it's way up in high mountains. It's usually in a glacial cirque or a glacial basin, uh, an area carved by a glacier. Hmm. And it's just, you know, just maybe cover a couple of acres. Isn't this, and you I say to yourself, well, what the heck is that doing there? 
Yeah, I want the listeners and knowing here uh, internationally, worldwide, we're all living on this earth together listening to this, and you've listened each week to the national park directors from Maui to the Florida Everglades to the Olympic National Forest to the national uh, parks director and more. And today listening to this, aren't you feeling um, that you're part of this? And Art, when they're thinking about the global warming and their health, um, not just because it's, a, it's not a political nothing. Uh, it's not who found it out first. People have known this for years, that this cycle was happening. Uh, what are some of the things, and we only have about another minute, uh, what are some of the things that you would like to encourage people to start wanting to learn more about educating themselves about global warming? Do you have some little hints, tips? <laughs> Boy, that's a tough question. Okay, well, where would they go on the web that you go to learn more about research on global warming? I looked up global warming, I have several times, and there's uh, dozens of websites. There was one I downloaded and put into a book, and it was by a whole bunch of professors that uh, seem to be wonderful people. Um, they didn't believe that global warming was, predominantly man-caused. Uh, they believe this it's related to the uh, retreat of the last ice age and it's part of a normal process. And well, I think that, um, uh, that listeners need to learn and let's yeah. be open-minded and well, learn but how... But that doesn't mean that we can't uh, work hard to keep our environment... Oh, we should all be participating in that with our home life, our attitude... Uh, and helping each other on this earth together as an ecosystem because we as humans and our outlook affect the ecosystem also. Yeah, well, whatever you believe, you don't want to poison the environment. Yeah. yeah. Art, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I'm looking forward to your next favorite subject. Thank you. You have a nice day. Thank you, Art. Well, water is vital to life. It's the solvent and health of eternity. Water is a commodity. Everyone takes that for granted. It's an absolute usefulness, usefulness for all life to make life convenient and healthy. Take advantage of the water supply in your area and learn more about drinking water every day. Is it health water, healthy water? Make sure that you're drinking 10 to 12 glasses of water. If you're under a lot of pressure, drink a lot of water. If you're not feeling good and have a symptom, drink water. Let's to get to taking a bath once in a while. That detoxifies you and open up, opens your pores, not just a shower. Showers rinse you. As you know, 3% of the world water is fresh. Only 1% is usable. There is a worldwide challenge to pr provide safe water. And we know, and I've told you before on this show, 6,000 children die every day because of unsafe water. I'm going to close uh, with our topic today and move on to thinking about next week. I believe Earth's secret is to embrace your life every precious moment, and I know Earth is whispering in your prayers, never say goodbye. You have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs>